street epistemology is a wonderful approach that anyone can learn. You can learn more about street epistemology at streetepistemology.com. about to witness the strength of street knowledge. So Michael, okay, nice to meet you, man. So I'm, I'm doing interviews on a topic known as street epistemology. And what that is, is um, exploring what people believe in, why they believe it, and how, how they arrived at that belief. And so the way I structure the interviews typically is to have the person identify some belief they hold to, it can be anything at all. And then I would like to ask you like, how did you get there? How did you arrive at that belief? How do you know that, that thing is true versus not true? Does that sound good? Are you yeah. comfortable with that? Okay. And it could be anything at all. So just some belief that you're fairly certain of and that is kind of foundational for you. Okay. So mine would have to be my belief in God. Okay. And if you had to uh, summarize that in a statement, what would it be? God exists or what? I believe that God exists in everything around the world. God exists and in, in what was the last everything. part? Everything. And everything? Oh, in everything. Yep. Okay, God exists in everything. Yep. Can you can you tell me what you mean by that? Um, God is everywhere. It's okay. a, he shows himself in every situation if you really examine it. Okay. Is it okay if I ask you questions related to why you believe God exists? No, go ahead. Okay. So we can start with the why question. Why, why do you believe this? Why do you? Um, when I was in high school, there was, I was just going through a deep time and everything. And then it, this favorite song of mine that didn't play on the radio that often played at the right situation at the time that I asked God myself to play that. And just after that situation that he revealed to me that he was real and existed, he's always been revealing himself to me. And a whole bunch of other situations throughout my life. Okay, so let me repeat that back to you. So when you were in high school, you were going through a hard time and a song played that was just the right song at just the right time went after you asked for, what, uh, what, what exactly did you ask God? It, if he would show himself to me this way. By okay, so after you prayed this prayer for God to show himself, this certain song played that was uh, applicable to your situation and it was helpful? Yep. Okay. Now, um, on a scale of zero to a hundred, how certain would you say you are in your belief? One hundred. One hundred percent. Okay. So no doubt in your mind. Nope. Okay. And what is it about um, this experience of a song playing, this is the right song at the right time, what is it about that that convinces you that God exists? Um, it, it's not just that one situation. It's okay. other things that have happened in my life that okay. would not happen to somebody who doesn't believe in God or... It just the way I've examined everything. Okay. So you said these kind of things would not happen to somebody who doesn't believe in God? It will happen, just the whole situation that it happened and it's just well, it probably would happen to someone who doesn't quite believe in God, but they would see it in a whole different way that somebody who does believe in him would see it. Okay. So you're saying that somebody could have this similar experience. They could have a song play at the right time, and but they j would just interpret it differently. Mm -hmm. how, th how might they interpret it? Um, just as a coincidence. Coincidence. Okay. Is it possible that 
something like this could happen and that it is a coincidence? Um, for my situation, no, but for other situations, it could be possible. Okay. How do we determine um, whether or not something is a coincidence? Um, if you examine every key point of the situation and just look at all the possible reasons why that happened, it, you could easily tell if it's a coincidence or it's something that God wanted to happen. Okay. Um, is every instance of something like, like this happening an instance uh, related to God? Um, for me, yes, big time. What do you mean when you say for you? Um, it's just that I believe in God and everything. So okay. if somebody who doesn't believe in God, they wouldn't think that everything that's happening in their life is related to God. Okay. So how would we determine the difference between something like this happening um, and like how do we determine the difference between it being due to God and it being just to coincidence? Or I guess you would say it's, probably, it's never due to coincidence. Something like this happening is nev never a coincidence? Never. Okay. And how, and how, did, how do you know that? Um, just my knowledge of scripture and it, how God is omnipotent, all-knowing, and always there. Uh -huh. And that's how it is for me. Is it, is it possible that somebody could have an experience like this, it be a coincidence, but they read God into it? Yes. That, that's a possibility? So, for instance, is it possible for something to happen to someone similar to what you experienced, and they read a different God into it, or they read a different supernatural um, reality to it. Maybe they read karma into it. Maybe they read Allah into it. Maybe they read Buddha. Into it. Is it possible for that to happen? Um, I don't think so because I believe that there is only one God, and that's the God I worship. Mm -hmm. so, but is it possible for that to ha for somebody to experience that and make that attribution? In terms of what they believe, yeah. Yeah, okay. So how do we distinguish between it being due to, to the God that you believe in or it, it being due to some other supernatural slash God? It, all the persons, it determine, it's determined by the person's faith. The okay, it's determined. But how do we determine which one is based in reality? Which one extends to beyond our, you know, what we believe in between our ears? How do we determine which one of these various explanations is actually true, real. Well, if you have a faith like mine in God that you would easily see that it is real and there's nothing that could convince me otherwise. Okay. All right, Michael, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for your time. No problem. Yeah, here, I'll give you my card. Okay. And if you have any questions, just feel free to shoot me an email. And just curious, are you a believer? I'm actually not. No, I, I don't believe in God. I was once a Christian, actually. Believe it or not, yeah, I was once a Christian for years. And uh, I came to the conclusion that um, the Bible was not the Word of God. And once I realized that, I could no longer maintain my belief that, that God exists. What brought you upon that decision? Yep, I was, I was kind, of, kind of a Bible nerd. I loved studying the Bible. I still do, actually. Um, and it was the more and more acquainted I got with it, the more and more problems I began to see. And I began to see that this, this text, this document, is not divinely inspired. It doesn't have, it has all the flaws that we would expect for it to have if it was just the work of, of human hands, of the human imagination, of, of just 
the, the process of a culture, giving rise to stories and beliefs. It has all the flaws we would expect if that were the case, and, and all the flaws that we wouldn't expect if this were a divinely inspired book. It wouldn't have the kind of things that I was finding. What type of flaws would sure. videos? Uh, false prophecies, uh, inaccurate history, internal contradictions, moral absurdities, um, bad, bad science that contradicted what we know through direct observation and testing, things like that. I, and the first thing I mentioned was false prophecies. So I would put that at the top of the list. For me, that's the most definitive. Like of all the things I just mentioned, they have varying degrees of, um, like the varying degrees of um, convincingness for me, for me. But at the top of that list, the thing for me that is like most convincing, most kind of damning for, for the Bible is the false prophecies. For me, I, I see the false prophecies and I'm like, how can, how can I possibly believe that this is kind of some kind of divinely inspired book? In fact, even in the Bible, it, in the Old Testament, God gave Israel, according to the story, God gave Israel a test for false prophets. He wanted to protect them from false prophets. And he said, if, something, if somebody prophesies something and it doesn't come to pass, know that that is a false prophet. And I would say that, the, ironically, the Bible itself fails that standard because there are things that the Bible prophesies that did not come to happen. Like what? Matthew 24, 34, where Jesus predicts that um, the end of the world and his second coming would come before the generation he was speaking to would die. He says, this generation shall not pass away before all these things come to pass. Well, if you examine that exact scripture, he's not talking about literal passing of the body it's passing of the spirit uh well i'm, I'm not sure what you mean what do you mean you know, you want to pull up the passage i can i can show you i have a bible oh me too <laughs> see i'm a bible nerd you're a bible nerd um you said matthew what 24 verse 34 So, let me know when you get there. I got it. Okay. So, um, verse 34, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Um, and if you read, you would have to read the whole chapter to get the full context, but but to kind of fill you in, and you may be familiar with this already, but in the preceding verses, he talks, he gives an outline of events that would occur. It starts with the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem, and it culminates in his final coming, his, the, son of, the coming of the Son of Man. And Jesus wraps it up in this verse right here, where he says, all these, this generation shall not pass away until all these things take place. And another example would be in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus says, in, uh, let's see if I can find it. I think it's at the end of the chapter. Okay, here it is. Uh, Matthew 16, verse um, 27 and 28. 
And Jesus says there, you got it? Mm -hmm. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And there's other passages I can cite too that, um, because the, the, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the Synoptic Gospels. You may know this, I don't know, but which means they all kind of tell us sort of the same story and they have a lot of the same speeches. And this speech is known as the Sermon on the Mount, at least chapter 24, and it's contained in those other Gospels as well. And you can read those and you'll see the same thing. And you'll see even other passages um, where he says something similar. And not only that, if you read the rest of the New Testament, you see the, the apostles in the early church very much expecting for Jesus to return in their lifetime. So it's not just these gospel passages, the entirety of the New Testament, the overall tenor of the New Testament is an, um, an eminent expectation that Jesus would come in their lifetime and that everything would wrap up. And so I see this and I mean, obviously it didn't happen. And, and like, I looked at all the different interpretations. In fact, I, like I can, if we had time, I can share with you, like as a Christian, how I explained this for a while. And there came a point where like these explanations just weren't working. They weren't adding up. The most, lot, the most likely explanation that explains it the best and the most simply is that, is that Jesus got it wrong. Is that this, this man, Jesus, was a, an apocalyptic prophet of the first century, which is very common during that time. There was sort of an apocalyptic fervor in Jerusalem at the time. Everyone was kind of expecting for the end to come soon. You had all these other messiahs saying the same message, preaching the same thing. And so Jesus is totally like in his, in his time. He's, he's, a, he's an apocalyptic prophet declaring the end of the world. And it's so anyway, so to, to me, I just came to a point where that struck me as such a simple explanatory explanation of, of this problem passage. It's just that Jesus simply got it wrong. And there's other false prophecies. I, I would say that's the most obvious, but there's others too. There's the end of Daniel, chapters 11 and 12, where Daniel is, is, is prophesying about, that another, it's another end of the world prophecy, actually. This apocalyptic fervor actually began like two centuries earlier than Jesus, around the time when Daniel was written. And that's another passage where Daniel prophesies the end of the world during the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a, um, a Greek ruler of the area of Syria. Anyway, but I don't want to get into details, but it's another one. Another one would be a passage, and I think it's Ezekiel, where it talks about King Nebuchadnezzar um, laying, laying the city of Tyre to waste, the island fortress of, known as Tyre to waste. He's going to lay it to waste. We know from history that never happened. So like, those are kind of like my big three, but the one with Jesus to me is the one that's most obvious. It's so clear. Like I can just show you by looking by pointing to these couple passages and others, it's just so easy to see that he got it wrong. Well, it, just to let you know that Jesus is the Son of God, so he knew this, but he wasn't talking about for the death of the people that were living there. It wasn't a physical death because uh, back uh, then people would internalize it in the wrong way. So maybe Matthew, the writer of uh, that book, he internalized it in the wrong way and what Jesus was actually meaning that it's about when he will come again and that has not happened that doesn't mean it won't happen it just hasn't happened yet and he will be coming soon and I believe with if you examine Revelation throughout the book that all the prophecies and stuff that 
hey, John wrote hey, that about the second coming of Christ, you would notice that all of those are starting to happen hey, in today's society. Hmm. I'm interested in how you deal with this passage. So you're saying that when Jesus says this generation will not pass away, he doesn't actually mean um, the physical, physical death. death. So he's, yeah. he's so you're saying what he's really saying is um, this generation will not spiritually die until the Son of Man comes? Yes, and that death would be a being with Christ in heaven. So they're, they're going to die They're going like to die in heaven spiritually? Um, not, they would be in like a purgatory kind of state, and that's when they would be able to see the glory of God. So you're saying that he's saying that this generation would not spiritually die die I'm, tr I'm trying to wrap my head around this can can you help me um it's it sounds kind of confusing but if you want i can bring up more information for you yeah yeah shoot me a message you and everything yeah shoot me a message um how would jesus have worded it if he meant physical death um i don't really know i'm not that historically i haven't it, understood how Jesus would have talked at the age. Mm -hmm. So I would have to examine all the, since he was a Hebrew, how he would talk with all the other Hebrews mm -hmm. in that area. Or since he was in the Middle East, how the Israelites would talk. Mm -hmm. And you would have to examine all those to determine how he would have described it. And I can't, I don't have the information okay. to do that. And, and how did you determine that he meant spiritual death here? Where is that? Is that in the text? Where, where did you get that from the text? Um, just examining all the other texts in the Bible. They all fit together. And it, it, for the second coming of Christ, it's not, it wasn't as best set, uh, specified for that exact period of time during the generation that Jesus was on earth, but it's talking about a future time that not even Jesus himself knows, but only God the Father knows. Wait a minute. So the way you determined that this text is speaking of spiritual death, you, you said from the rest of the Bible? Mm -hmm. what, do you, what do you mean by that? Um, if you examine scripture as a whole, you would be able to uh, understand everything uh, at a, a better way. So how does examining scripture as a whole um, lead you to the conclusion that this is speaking of spiritual death instead of physical death? Um, just different scripture and everything. I'm not able to cite the exact scripture, but just since it is God-breathed and it is God's word, I'm going to believe every single part of it, and there's nothing that could convince me otherwise. And I even have studied scripture for multiple years now, and I have never come upon any thing that would bring me away from my faith. Oh, okay. What what would it take to convince you that the Bible was not the Word of God after all? Nothing. Nothing? Nope. Okay. So if you found uh, a, a false prophecy in the Bible, that wouldn't convince you? Well, there is no false prophecies in the Bible. Okay. In my belief. Okay. If there was a false prophecy in the Bible, how would you recognize it? Um, well, since I can't really go that route, since there is no false prophecies in the Bible, and it, Jesus says not to add or take away from the Word, so it, the Word's going to stay the same as it is. So there's, I would never come to that situation. If you were, if you were hypothetically wrong, is that something that you would want to know? 
Um, I would, but I don't have the knowledge now, and I would only receive the knowledge once I enter heaven. Okay. If you were hypothetically wrong, how, how might you come to the conclusion? How might you set yourself up best to arrive at that, that truth? I haven't really thought of that because I know that my faith is going to take me all the way to heaven. Okay. So... All right, man. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. It's a fa fascinating discussion. Like, like I said, I love talking Bible. So, if yeah, if you have any articles, resources, yeah, feel free to shoot me a message, man. No problem. And um, of course, if you want to discuss any of these issues in more detail, I'd love to get it back together and maybe maybe do a second interview, <laughs> part two, and we can talk about these issues. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Take it easy. You too. Enjoy the rest of your day. Street Epistemology is a technique by Dr. Peter Bogosian in his book, A Manual for Creating Atheists, and his Android and iOS app, Atheos.